Welcome to On Top of PR with Jason Mudd, presented by ReviewMaxer. So welcome to another episode of On Top of PR. I'm your host, Jason Mudd. I'm joined today with Nicole. Nicole, introduce yourself for our audience. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Nicole Balsam. I am a managing consultant at Capstone Hill Search, which is the number one PR and recruitment executive search firm in the U.S., Excellent. Well, we are glad you're here and I'm glad to be here and excited to help our audience learn more about how to hire and recruit um, and uh, when needed, uh, lean on a resource like you to do it and do it well. So thank you for joining us today, Nicole. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. So, Nicole, we find ourselves while we like to do these recordings evergreen, we find ourselves what and where I think is right smack in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic and the corresponding economic environment that we're in. And while many companies are hiring, many companies are not. And then there are a lot of companies who are also, you know, uh, making cuts to help them survive the current environment. And I'm sure that uh, as we talk today, people are going to be hearing, listening for a couple of different ways. One, how do I get a job? right? Two, how do I find someone to fill an open job that I have? And probably three, what, do, what can I do to make sure that I have the employment security that I need and, the, and I'm building the relevant skills at the same time in case I find myself on the other side of the, the, the equation? So, uh, Nicole, I'm glad you're here. Uh, first of all, I want to give you an opportunity. You said your company is the number one in your space. That's based on what? How did you get to be number one? So, we're the... We've made an effort since the beginning of our firm, its uh -huh. presence in the US to really be a member of this industry. Uh -huh. So not just performing our regular search tasks, but also sponsoring industry events, mm -hmm. um, kind of being part of the larger conversation. So we have um, uh, partnerships with the PR Society of America. We've done um, programming with ColorCom around diversity um, okay. and sponsored, you know, uh, sort of fireside chats with yeah. uh, major industry leaders. Mm -hmm. So we like to think of ourselves as consultants to our clients and candidates. So it's not always about placing the role that right. we're going to have right now. It might be about yeah. where you are five years from now and how we can work together then. Okay, excellent, excellent. So tell me, um, uh, let's just start right off. Is um, If somebody is um, concerned about their employment right now in the current environment, uh, do you want to hear from them sooner um, so that they can begin working with you to build a resume and, and, and get established? Or should they wait until they have a little bit more sense of what's going on at their company? Where, what's your take on that? Well, I, I, I think it never hurts to be prepared. I mm -hmm. don't know. I, I don't see a reason why you would put off at least starting, you know, if you have the time to do it, right. starting uh -huh. a resume. I always think having sort of a living document of it that you can constantly be updating with like your latest achievements or links to, you know, right. press that you've received or clients that you've worked with um, is, you, you know, that way it makes it easier in the end for you to mm -hmm. just have something ready sure. to go. Yeah. So that's the other thing that I think people don't always think about, you know, oftentimes the best time to find a job is when you're not looking for a job. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You sure. don't want to be caught in the situation of, oh my God, I just got laid off. I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. It's good to sort of like keep your mind open at least to possibilities. Mm -hmm. Um, cause oftentimes it's when you're not looking that, 
that really fascinating thing that is like, oh, I, I never even would have thought of this, but I, I'm yeah. so interested. Mm-hmm. That's when, you know, of course, that's when those things like often sure. come up. A little bit of commentary I'd add to that, though, is yes, it's good to be, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, approach for an employment opportunity when you're not really looking, right? But at the same time, uh, you know, you don't want to, I don't think as an employer, I don't like it when people mislead me that they're still with a company when they're really not, if that makes sense. Oh, because, because 100%. That, yeah. I, that, I completely I, agree. The, I, 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 I see that a lot, actually. And I'm, and I'm really? often surprised by it. You know, the person will tell me, well, I'm not currently there. I'm on severance or, you know, whatever, but their LinkedIn still says they're there. And so then I, I've just, it, it becomes kind of, little bit of uncertainty to me of, you know, what exactly is the situation there, right? I agree with you because I think it just sets you off on the wrong foot. I mean, the best thing you can do is just be transparent, especially now, given that there are so many, so many talented people who Mm -hmm. have been laid off or are on furlough. Right. Circumstances completely beyond their control. I think people are really like being very compassionate about that. And, Mm -hmm. um, I just think if you go in lying, that's not a great yeah, look exactly. for a long term for your yeah, employer absolutely. to trust you and want to hire you. So totally agree. So back in uh, early June, we were actively hiring, and uh, uh, yet we were finding that uh, the candidates we were interviewing or, or contacting for the first time say, "Hey, I would love to interview with you. I'm very interested." Uh, in, in Axia. And then they would tell us, but you need to know, I've got three other offers right now. And, wow. and I sensed that, and that, and that was just not one candidate, that was several candidates. So uh, at least in early June, we were finding it to be a very competitive marketplace. Um, and so, you know, our preferences, you know, we go through a very thorough vetting process when we hire people. So it's not like we move very quickly when we hire. So for most of those people, I very quickly say, if you've got offers, please take those, explore those, but you know we are not going to make a quick decision, and uh, and and so we felt like that was very important. What are you seeing on your end um, uh, as far as what the marketplace looks like right now? That's really interesting. I wonder if that's like a regional differentiation. So my practice is primarily in New York. Um, we also obviously cover the other major metro areas: mm-hmm. um, Boston, Philly, Chicago, LA, San Francisco, Washington D.C. Some, some stuff in Texas as well. Um, what I've been seeing is broadly B2B is doing pretty well. Okay. So people with experience in financial services, technology, especially on the B2B side of those things, mm-hmm. still hiring, still doing pretty well. Okay. People who were solely segmented into consumer you know, and obviously hospitality, travel, luxury, all of those kind of right. not a lot of action happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the More second- the discretionary area, discretionary income and discretionary spending space. Yeah. And I think, too, that like those clients have, especially at the beginning of this, I think there was uh, some hesitancy about how to communicate with their customers mm-hmm. at the beginning of the pandemic. Um I do think that's coming back now. I'm starting to get on a few more like uh, lifestyle consumer oriented opportunities for people. So I I am seeing that come back on. 
But mm -hmm. the other sort of larger trend that I have seen throughout this time has been a real hesitancy for people to hire at very senior levels. Mm. So most of the work that we're seeing is at the either in the mid range, I'd say mm. starting at about three to five years experience going up to okay. under under 15. I think that uh, for a lot of clients, especially on the agency side, mm -hmm. just given the uncertainty of right. cash flow, I think right. people are more willing to invest in, you know, somebody whose salary is $130,000 versus somebody whose salary is $200,000. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So um, what are some of the things you see? Um, so our audience is probably going to be a little bit more skewed towards the senior uh, you know, level executive and probably some mid-level, um, you know, as well. So talk to me and we want to speak kind of to both sides because I think that we should be sensitive that there's probably uh, a good amount of our audience who are, you know, newly unemployed or at least seeking opportunities. And then there's going to be some who are currently employed um, and yet having to deal with either, you know, uh, a freeze on hiring or, you know, maybe looking at even laying off some of their team members per, you know, management direction. So it's kind of a all over the place, I would say, of, of who we're talking to today. So if you would, let's just start off with, you know, what are some mistakes that you see candidates making uh, in their uh, resume and in their approach to their search? Hmm. It's a good question. I think that it it really does depend opportunity to opportunity, but I would say overall, you need to present yourself within the culture of that organization. Mm -hmm. And so that means also targeting opportunities that are gonna be appropriate for you on yeah. that level. So just as an example, if you're very outgoing, like you know, have a little bit more of a salesy approach, maybe you're not going to be the best fit for something that's a little bit more uh, bookish or uptight. So right. I think tailoring your resume to the specific opportunity, and, mm -hmm. and I should say too, it doesn't mean that all of us don't have all of these personality attributes within ourselves. Yeah. But I think what you can really do to try to stand out is for opportunities that you're really, really interested in, mm -hmm tailor your resume so that it's specific for that role or for that company to really make it clear to usually the HR person why you would be such a great fit, not only right. in the role, but also for the organization. Okay. One thing I've helped a lot of people in my LinkedIn network, I've probably done about a dozen of them, is, is a resume review for candidates or for contacts who are unemployed right now. And so I've just said, hey, at no cost to you, I'm going to review your resume or your LinkedIn, your choice. Uh, you know, me personally as a hiring manager, I love LinkedIn and I would rather see their LinkedIn profile than their resume any day. Um, what I noticed is, you know, when I came up, so I happened to work in the career center uh, at uh, University of Missouri paying my way through school. And so I was giving advice on resumes to alumni, to students, to faculty, to all kinds of people. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, I was trained how to do that. And, and so I did that. And so, you know, I bring, I think, a unique perspective, having worked in that role, having hired people for 20 years and, and the like. And, you know, back then, I remember encouraging people to try to get their resume down to one page. Um, and then two, if they had, you know, just if they had, you know, uh, uh, their professor and they had works, published works to cite and things like that. 
uh, I got to tell you, most of the resumes I were I was getting were like you know four pages long, uh, or maybe even more. And you know, I would just tell the people, you know, there were there were two or three overarching themes every time I reviewed somebody's LinkedIn or their resume. And number one, if it was a resume, it was almost always too many pages. Um, and number two, it was um, you know very inward focused. You know what I did and and and, mm. and the job and what that job looked like. And so I just try to tell everybody, look, write this not about you, but about the person reading it, and express to them, you know, here's the ROI you're going to get from employing me. Here's some of the KPIs I can cite in, in my employment history. Show me how I, as a hiring manager, my life is going to be better, and my company's going to be better, and our ROI for uh, employing you is going to be better. And no matter how senior the person was or how junior they were, it was almost always absent uh, from the uh, from the resume. Or it would be like one job had it and then a job didn't and then another job mm. had it. And so I just said, look, you know, and it would be as simple. And, and I want to hear your feedback on this. So it'd be as simple as, you know, if it said manage a team that produced, you know, PR uh, for the company uh, and issued news releases and managed social media and all that um, and, and sent out our email blast or whatever and, and, and wrote blog posts. So I would say, OK, tell me. How many blog posts did you write a week or a month, right? How many were published a week or a month? Uh, and how many people did that reach, you know? And so even if it wasn't a true measure of, um, you know, uh, of, of results uh, that were brought to the table, at least it's showing the breadth and depth of the audience and, excuse me, who you were reaching uh, kind of thing. And so, um, you know, I'm always trying to tell people to help quantify uh, the data that's in there. Do, do you think that's important? Do you agree with that? And, and, and what would be your advice I, I think that's great advice, especially for senior level candidates. You know, if the if you're going if you're working for an in-house organ, you know, on the brand side of things right. or on the even potentially more so on the agency side, mm -hmm. uh, having those metrics is extremely important. So the things that I want to know about or my clients want to know about are what size PNL have you managed? Yeah. Um, how big has was your team? what as you said what was the roi on some of the work you did so if you, yeah. if you can point to we increased sales by this percentage or we got even if it's just we achieved media placements in these specific outlets right um that those kinds of details are what will make you stand out from everyone mm -hmm. else who just can do the job on paper but yeah. again what's going to make you unique and interesting to the organization and you never know like sometimes you may think oh this nobody wants to know about this random blog post but i've had people link you know you can hyperlink within the resume to youtube videos or mm -hmm. to their to some blog posts that got you know shared 30,000 times right yeah, um those types of things can really like take you over the top i think into the category of people who will get the call for the interview. You're listening to On Top of PR with your host, Jason Mudd. Jason is a trusted advisor to some of America's most admired and fastest growing brands. He is the managing partner at Axia Public Relations, a PR agency that guides news, social, and web strategies for national companies. And now back to the show. 
Let's turn the tables now a little bit. Let's say you're a hiring manager and you're in the market for hiring somebody. Um, you may, I would imagine, potentially find yourself overwhelmed with applicants and candidates. Um, so what's some advice you would give there? Unfortunately, yes, I think that's <laughs> happening a lot. Yeah. So my advice to hiring managers is always use your own networks first. Um, because if you can find someone who comes, you know, with a reference from someone you trust, absolutely, those can often be the best hires. Okay. Uh, if you p don't know anyone, nobody on your team has anyone to refer, also obviously very common, you put it out there on LinkedIn or something and you get 400 resumes. I personally believe you should look at all of them. Okay. You don't need to read every single one in you know great detail, but right. sometimes gems are hidden in there, and sure, I yeah. I like to at least take a look at every single person. It is a lot of time spent, right. but right. you'll get into a flow of it, and you can pretty easily know quickly who is or is not right. From there, I'd make a short list, mm -hmm. and then perhaps go revisit it at another time. Cause obviously going through all the resumes, is very draining. Maybe yeah. look at it with fresh eyes in a day or two. And you mm -hmm. know, of that short list, pick out, you know, the five to 10 people you want to have initial conversations with. Mm -hmm. The other recommendation I make a lot to people is oftentimes, you know, it depends if you're re backfilling a role, you know, somebody left and you need to fill that exact position. You may be looking for something really specific, but I also have clients out there that are like, I'm, I'm going to make this hire. I'm going to invest in someone. I really want this person to be here long term. Right. I don't exactly, you know, I could go a couple of ways with this. So I always recommend to people to have conversations with sort of a range of candidates. Okay. So uh, I recently had a, a client ask for someone with four to eight years of experience. That's a pretty big range. Mm -hmm. um, so we had we set up conversations with a couple junior people, a couple people more senior, and one person who was above the eight years of experience, just okay. to get the full spectrum. Yeah. And from there, we were able to very easily sort of say, okay, we do want to skew more senior. We're actually going to adjust the job description. It's going to be eight to 12 years of experience okay. so that we could really try to. So I think having conversation, you know, you can have a 15 minute conversation with somebody, right. um, start to get a little bit more sense of the market and ultimately like sort of zone in on your targeting from there. Okay. So let's go back. I think your example was, you know, uh, 400 applicants, uh, you narrow that down to, did you say uh, eight to 10 uh, initial conversations? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, and then from there, you're just, uh, you know, the realities, you know, the sad reality is you're just, you're looking for people to eliminate. Um, and as you're going through that process of eliminating folks, some stand out as folks that, you know, are like, Hey, I, I really like this candidate, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, then, then what do you recommend that a company does when they've narrowed it down maybe to, uh, you know, uh, eight initial conversations, they probably narrow that down to four. What, what do you recommend they do from there? Well, I hope people aren't going in with the mindset of eliminating people because I always try to give everyone the benefit of the doubt and really. Sure. Yeah, and you said that. Yeah. What, yeah. Yeah. What people's skills they can bring to the table, how they could add value. But the reality um, is the HR uh, department or recruiter is really trying to screen uh, and filter. Yeah, candidates. Of course. I mean, that's their course. job. 
Um, number one, I think treat everyone well mm-hmm. because, you know, get back to people as well. Um, and just to back it up just quickly to the 400 <laughs> submissions. Yeah. The other thing that I would just recommend on that note is I have had people before say, oh, I got 400 submissions and now I have to look through all of them. If you can find a way to do it as you go, yeah, I think that's helpful. Also, if you can start to get back to people, you mm. know, in a timely manner, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, as you said, people who are out there actively looking like may have other opportunities in the work. So you may right. lose out on someone if you don't act on it. Yeah. with urgency. Sure. Um, so to fast forward to we have, we've had the eight conversations, we want to move four people forward. Uh, number one, I would just get back to the four people you're not going to move forward with just to let them know, I think it goes a really long way. It also yeah. goes a long way for your reputation as an employer. Sure. Yeah, you never know. This is a small industry, we right. <laughs> will probably run into each other again at some point. Yeah. Um, so for the the finalist candidates, let's call that them mm-hmm. that. I mean, it depends on on what the role is. I think a lot of people like to do an assignment of some kind, okay, um, to understand a little bit deeper what their skills are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I often have clients do like, you know, a like a a fake brief or something. You know, mm-hmm. how write a press release for this or that or you know, this is a, a new product that we're, is coming to market, what would your media strategy be and kind of come yeah. up with a little plan about that. Um, and the other recommendation I'd have is like, assuming that they've talked to HR, they've talked to the hiring manager, I would definitely recommend that they talk to people at a variety of levels within the organization. Okay. So I think that's going to really help the candidate get a better sense of culture and how they could fit into the the broader right. team, sure. the broader organization. So even on, you know, for a brand side PR role, it's it's nice to talk to people who are in marketing or, you know, somebody on legal, if other people, people from other departments that you may end up collaborating with, because I think right. it gives candidates a lot more um, security about the overall culture and organization of the company. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Um, so as, as you were talking, I started thinking about, um, uh, you know, one, uh, well, first of all, let's go back to the comment about the assignment. Um, you know, you give somebody like a test assignment, where do you sense, where does that become reasonable and where does that start to become unreasonable? Totally. It it is, there is a line that you don't want to, I think you need to be respectful of people's time. I Mm -hmm. think that's the main thing. And I think also um, when people are not working currently and are maybe doing consulting on the side, I think the other thing you have to be appreciative of is that's a work product that they would potentially normally charge thousands of dollars for. So you you need to be sensitive to people's constraints in that area. Um, So often what I've, one thing that I've had clients do that I think works really well is like if you're getting objections to doing the assignment or the assignment is requires, you know, 15 hours of work and it's just a lot to ask of someone Mm -hmm. um, to do it as a work session. 
So to have, you know, give them the brief, give them the background info, allow them to do some research, kind of jot down their own ideas of what they think, but then do it as a collaborative session. So get them in a room with maybe one or two, exactly one or two other people. You kind of work through this hypothetical together. It also gives you a sense of how a person may collaborate on the team. And I think two people appreciate that because it's not asking Mm -hmm. so much of their time. Yeah. And it's a great way for the candidate to figure out how well they work with these individuals also and get a real sense for the culture. And, and then and then you're not working on a company you're not familiar with uh, on an island and trying to make some guesses versus, you know, even if it was done through a Zoom call, uh, you know, very similar to a video like this where there's some back and forth. Uh, I think that's a very helpful way to do it also. So that, that's a really good point. One thing we've done that, you know, for some some people, it, just, it, it, it blows their mind. But, you know, we've brought people in and said, hey, come work with us side by side, shoulder by shoulder uh, for a half day or a full day. And we'll compensate you the equivalency of what you would earn, uh, you know, for the salary that, you know, we're paying for this position. And it really is a good way for, you know, uh, for that opportunity to, to see if there's a fit or not. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have just been blown away. Wow, that's a great idea that, you know, that's crazy. I never thought about that. Uh, and then, you know, in turn, they're probably also maybe if they're currently employed, taking a PTO day where they're still getting their regular salary. And then they're getting paid also, you know, by you to do that, uh, that shadowing day. But I've just found it to be very helpful. So someone realistically sees this is the office I'll probably be working in. This is the team I'll be working with. Um, You know, this is the culture a little bit. And there's, you know, I've always said there's no better way to get to know a candidate than have them actually come and work. Right. And, And see what they're about and they can see what you're about. And there's no kind of wizard behind the curtain that you're suddenly surprised to have met and have interfaced with, you know, after you've made the commitment of, you know, leaving your current employer possibly and, and, and putting your, your career and income at risk. So I, I think that's a great idea. And yeah. it's true too, like for, for candidates, anyone who's ever interviewed for a new job, you get a sense pretty quickly once you're yeah. in the office of yeah. if this is going to be a fit or not. So hopefully right. by the time you're inviting people to come do that shadow day, yeah. they already have a, a good sense of that this would be a fit for them. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the sort of insights of the intangible things about the office is mm-hmm. very valuable for that. So, so when's the right time to reach out and contact uh, and engage a, uh, a recruiter or a staffing company? From from the client's perspective. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, employer. I think it depends on the urgency of your hire. I okay. also think it depends on your ability to fill it yourself. So mm-hmm. I'm not ever going to advocate that everyone should use a recruiter and okay. everyone should be paying for this all the time. Yeah. I get it. It's a big expense. So if you can do it by yourself, I think you absolutely should. So do all the things we already discussed. You know, use your own networks, get referrals, put Mm -hmm. it out there publicly if you want, if it's not Mm -hmm. confidential. Right. Um, If you exhaust your own options, Mm -hmm. that's the time to call a recruiter. Okay. Another scenario is this is a very sensitive hire. Right. Maybe we have someone in the role right now, or maybe we're hiring for this brand new position, but nobody on the team yet knows that we're going to right. be having this. Yeah. 
in those scenarios, it's really useful to use a recruiter as well, because you can be very targeted and who you reach out to and you can really control who knows what about what's going on. I mean, right. I've even had clients want to do NDAs. So I, you know, I contact the candidates, we arrange a time to speak, I have them sign an NDA before I even tell them yeah. what it is. Okay. Um, so that's one. And then the third situation I'd say that you should probably call a recruiter is if you don't have time to do this. Mm -hmm. Because as you know, looking through all the resumes, making the time for the interviews, it, it it's a lot of work. Right. Um, and if it's a very urgent hire, you really need someone, hiring a recruiter is going to be a great use of your money because you're going to get the return faster than... Mm -hmm dragging it out and doing it all yourself and potentially right. ultimately even losing things because you didn't have, you know, I, I have a, a colleague who says, um, you know, time kills all deals. Uh -huh. I think you want to have a sense of momentum with the search. So if you have a great conversation with someone and then you get super busy and you don't talk to them for two weeks, right? you know, that it's not leaving a great impression. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, I'd say like similar to PR, uh, the great thing about using a search firm is that you get to control the narrative about your organization in the marketplace. Right. So I also recommend not putting it out there to too many search firms, because I've certainly seen that happen as well, where, you know, we contact someone about a role and they say, oh, you're the fifth person to reach out to me about this. Yeah, that's not What's good. wrong? Yeah. What's wrong with them? Why can't they fill this? Right. Um, but if you're selective about who you use and only use like your trusted vendors, um, mm -hmm. I think you can you can go far in terms of your own reputation management by having somebody out there, you know, talking about your company um, in a positive way. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I would imagine, too, a recruiter is helpful because they're coaching kind of both sides of the of 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 the deal or of the of the conversation uh, and and making for ultimately a more efficient process, I would think, for everybody. And, you know, kind of less less small talk and less. Um, how do you say, uh, you know, uh, less guidance. So, you know, one of the best employees that's ever worked in my agency, I think I interviewed him like 10 times because he just didn't interview well. And I always walked away like you know, wanting more from the conversation or the experience. But I saw the experience he had and I saw the results that he drove. I ultimately ended up hiring him and, you know, he was a great hire, uh, but just not a good interviewer. Um, well, that's, that's great. I mean, I love yeah. that you could see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think too that, um, you know, the, the other interesting thing that you can sort of do in, in using a recruiter in addition to, you know, obviously the coaching, making sure each conversation is sort of like tailored for whatever the client or candidate needs to have answered in that round right. yeah. is when it comes down to the negotiation. So it's, it's very useful to have a third party. Now, ultimately, the recruiter represents the client. Um, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like right. that's who pays the bills. So, you know, we're going to likely advocate for the client, but sometimes those conversations, if you do it directly can get very awkward right. and it really just, I think helps smooth out the process, helps the new employee transition onto the team smoothly. If you have someone else who can go back and forth and have the hard conversations yeah. for you uh -huh. so that you can kind of 
be this great em employer that they're so looking forward to starting their new job and they don't have to think about how they wanted 10K more, but that's my job to tell them that, you know? Yeah, there you go. That's right. That's good. That's good. Well, um, let's see, Nicole, unfortunately, it looks like we have ran out of time. I think we could talk for hours about this topic. <laughs> I'm sure. I, I find it certainly, you know, the Chinese proverb of Nicole, may you always live in interesting times is, is very true right now. And, uh, you know, hopefully we return to a uh, prosperous uh, and growth economy, you know, very quickly, um, you know, as we are uh, currently dealing with COVID-19 and seeing that impact on the employment marketplace. Uh, but that is why, uh, you know, companies need resources like you to help them, uh, you know, when they start hiring again and or when they you know, come to you and say, hey, you were a great recruiter for my company and you helped me find this job or you helped me find this candidate. Now I'm back in the marketplace and I need some help. So, uh, Nicole, if our, if our audience wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? I'd say look me up on LinkedIn. I'm Nicole Balsam and I'm always happy to connect. Okay, that sounds good. Well, Nicole, thank you for being here today. And uh, if there's ever anything we can do for you, let us know, okay? Terrific. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. This has been On Top of PR with Jason Mudd, presented by Review Maxer. 